Hello, I'm Phil Farrow, Chief Meteorologist at WSBN-TV in South Florida, and this is Weather or Not. Living in South Florida has its benefits with plenty of sunshine, warm beaches, mild air, and afternoon refreshing downpours. But it also has its downside. Brutal thunderstorms, baking hot temperatures in the summer, and of course, hurricanes. The almost year-round hot temperatures can be dangerous, especially for the very young and not so very young. You know, there's enough data out there that shows that in about 10 minutes, a car can heat up about 20 degrees. Um, and that can be on a, you know, even a cloudy day. So it doesn't have to be, you know, super, super hot out. And why this is particularly dangerous for children is because they don't regulate their body temperature the same way that adults do. Meteorologist Erica Delgado has more on this hot topic. Plus, the cone of concern is celebrating an anniversary this year. How is the info being interpreted? Is there a better way to message the threat? This is actually its 20th year out there. And unfortunately for those 20 years, it's been pretty misinterpreted by a lot of people. Meteorologist Jackson Dill takes a look at the problem with the cone. That's coming up next on Weather or Not. The best app from the best weather team is right here. Seven's Hurricane Tracker app. Get the latest forecast models. My Seven weather blog. And of course, Seven's cone on your phone. It's yours free from the storm station, Seven News. When the tropics heat up, you can stay cool. Because the chief works right here. Seven's chief meteorologist, Phil Farrow. He's been doing this for nearly 30 years. As soon as we get information, we bring it to you instantly. Wilma, Katrina, Irma, he guided us safely through them all. That guy never sleeps, but that's so you can sleep easier. Welcome back. We all know it sizzles here in South Florida, but even in the winter, it can get brutally hot inside a parked car with its windows closed. It's sad how every year there will be some fatalities from extreme heat, from babies to seniors and even pets. Meteorologist Erica Delgado has the story. Summers in South Florida. Living in paradise at times comes with a cost. One does not have to spend too much time down here to learn what the so-called Miami heat during these months is all about. But the South Florida heat isn't just limited to the summer months, but rather to a big chunk of the year. We are used to seeing temperatures in April frequently reach 90 degrees and reach into the lower 90s for at least four to five months after that. Experts say that temperatures inside a vehicle will reach 100 degrees Fahrenheit in just 25 minutes when the outside temperature is only 73 degrees. That's right, 73 degrees outside. Now imagine what the temperature inside your vehicle could reach on any given hot South Florida summer day where the outside temperature reaches 90 degrees. Well, according to the National Weather Service, temperatures inside a vehicle can now reach 140 degrees within just minutes. And they warn that even cracking the windows of your car will not significantly slow the heating process inside the vehicle. Given the warm climate we live in and the dangers this heat poses, we reached out to the Broward Sheriff's Office to ask them about their hot car initiative that has become quite popular across South Florida. Here's what they had to say. Joining me today is Melanie Bricado with the Broward Sheriff's Office Department of Rescue and Emergency Services with some more information on the dangers of keeping pets and children in the car. Melanie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. 
So before we begin, tell us a little bit about BSO's Fire Rescue Public Safety Education Unit. Uh, so we are a team of public educators. Um, we're civilian employees, so um, not sworn law enforcement or anything like that. Um, and our goal is to um, provide education for people of all ages on all topics, anything, you know, fire and life safety related. Um, our goal is for our uh, emergency response crews to not run on calls for uh, injuries or deaths, even that can be prevented. We talked about, or at least we were discussing earlier, dangers of keeping pets and children in the car. So anyone who has spent some time in South Florida knows of the dangers of leaving a child or pet alone just because of the temperatures here in South Florida for a big chunk of the year. Can you walk us through the dangers in this type of scenario, including if you know how quickly the temperature inside the car rises? Sure. So, um, you know, there's enough data out there that shows that in about 10 minutes, a car can heat up about 20 degrees. Um, and that can be on a, you know, even a cloudy day. So it doesn't have to be, you know, super, super hot out. And why this is particularly dangerous for children is because they don't regulate their body temperature the same way that adults do. So they heat up about three to five times faster. And heat stroke, you know, generally begins at about uh, average temperature of 104 degrees. So it's a short window of time. We see on average nationally probably about 38 children that die every year from being left alone in hot cars. And I can say, you know, so far the data is reporting that in 2022, 25 children have died as a result of being left in hot cars. And two of those deaths have been reported in our state. Wow. So 25, and that's 25 way too many so far this year. And I know you mentioned that just at 104 degrees inside mm -hmm. the car, that's when it was heat, heat stroke or heat exhaustion begins. Heat stroke. And as we know, temperatures here beginning spring through at least early fall, just outside alone are in the 90s. So inside that car, 104 is quickly reached. Yes, it's uh, it happens very quick. And I think that sometimes, you know, when it happens, you know, you'll get people that will sometimes say, oh, it just ran in for a minute. Sometimes a minute is a minute too long. And it's just we always encourage people just don't leave your pets. Don't leave your kids alone in a car uh, ever. It's just not a good idea, especially where we live, you know, let alone anywhere else. Now, online on one of your Twitter posts, I read something about the LOVE program. Can you explain a little bit about that process and how everything came to be? Yes. So the LOVE program was actually developed by Sunrise Fire Rescue. So it was in response to, um, at the time, you know, there was a child that, that passed away locally um, from being left alone in a hot car. So they partnered with uh, Broward County uh, Trauma Services and Safe Kids. And then, you know, LOVE emerged from that. And the whole objective of the program uh, love standing for leave our vehicles empty was really just that to provide awareness and education on an ongoing basis for parents and caregivers on the importance of making sure that, you know, the vehicles are left empty. You know, it's, it's very easy for one to say, you know, just don't leave your child or pet in the car, but just mm -hmm. life has shown you just with everyday distractions, you know, you may quickly forget that you may have someone or, or pet or a child in the back seat. So, for anyone that maybe does travel with a pet or with a child at times, what are some tips you can suggest to people who could be placed in this scenario? Um, I, I mean, the easiest thing, if we can remember it, is obviously, you know, never to do, never to leave a pet, never to leave a child. Just get in the habit of we don't do this sort of thing. Keeping your cars locked is a, is a big piece of it. Unattended vehicles, um, about 26% of the children who die, um, died because they gained access to a vehicle that was unattended. So that's something that we can do. And of course, 
you know, as a bystander or anything else, if you see something, say something. It's really important to call 911 and make sure that we can serve as advocates for pets or children if they are left alone and elderly people too, you know. Some other tips and things like that, it's just important to know. I think just kind of like you mentioned, um, it really can happen to anyone especially new parents, you know, uh, sleep deprivation is a thing, um, among all of the other things going on in people's life. So some things that we can also do, I, I tell parents all the time, you know, set your GPS when you're getting in the car. That's a really good way to, you know, if you said I'm going to daycare and all of a sudden you took a different turn because there was an accident or something happened and then your, you know, phone reroutes or your GPS in your uh, car, that's a good way. Keeping your phone or your briefcase, something in the back seat. To serve as a reminder, you'll hear sometimes people will say, keep a, a toy on your dash to, to remind you, a little sticky note on your window when you're getting out of the car. There's so many other things that people can do to kind of help serve as reminders as well. I've been doing some reading on this um, subject matter, and I also, I read that some of the newer cars even have sensors yes. in the car to remind you to look to the back seat. Yes. So I always tell people, use technology available for you. Um, there are some newer vehicles that have rear seat reminders. I don't know the exact models of them, but I know Hyundai um, and Kia are some brands that do have those features. And you can activate sort of, you know, the text response features on those um, vehicles. You know, some people don't, you know, maybe they don't use that feature, or whatever. It is an option. I also read a little bit more up on this and I saw that most Major automakers are pledging that by 2025 that they will have these rear seat reminders. So I think that's you know good for us to know that that's coming down the way. Waze is an app I know that a lot of people use. They have a feature in there, uh, you know, if you kind of dig through enough that has a you know child seat reminder that you can activate too. There are smart car seats that parents and caregivers can buy. Uh, Cybex is one of the brands that I know that use the uh, sensor safe technology. It works with the um, chest clip, you know, that in, in the car seat safewise.com is a really great website where people can go and they have just a variety of different resources that people can see for what might work for them. Uh, so I always encourage people, you know, look there to see if there's something that might work for you if your vehicle is not equipped with those features built in, because there are things to help us to kind of really try to minimize this from, from happening. I don't have any children of my own, but I do have nieces and nephews. So if have it, where I've been putting my purse in the back seat. So, you know, I get to places and I purposely have to go to the back seat in order to get my purse. And even though, again, I normally don't have a child in my back seat or a pet, at least I'm getting into, into the, um, just getting used to going back there and at least checking. So I guess anything that you would probably bring down from the car with you. Absolutely. You know, and I hear sometimes parents say, not just parents, but people in general. Well, I can't believe you'd have to leave a purse in the back seat to remind you to, you know, to, you know, let you be reminded that your child is in the car. And I think that with all the best intentions, like you're trying to be proactive and minimize the risk. I don't think anybody ever intends for this sort of thing to happen, but we know that 53% of the time it is because children were just forgotten in the car and for whatever the reason. So if I'm a new parent or, you know, just taking care of children, I'm babysitting, I'm doing whatever, I want to do everything I possibly can. Uh, because I am human and forgetful and I get distracted and all the things. So kudos to you for, you know, being proactive in that way and just getting into that good habit. Now, I know that you mentioned a good resource was, I believe it was safewise.com. Safewise.com, yeah. Okay, so are, other than that, are there maybe a Broward Sheriff's Office website? I saw that there were some modules. Is there anything that we could use as, as far as resources on this? Yes, yeah, so uh, at the Broward Sheriff's Office, we have... One of the major ways that we reach parents and caregivers on this topic is through our car seat installation program. 
you can visit sheriff.org, schedule an appointment. We provide car seat installations, you know, countywide. There's a ton of other, you know, fire departments and police departments as well that have certified child passenger safety technicians. We're actually in Pompano this week certifying uh, 19 more people to become um, passenger safety technicians in the area. So that's good news. But with that said, we have parents and caregivers in front of us when we're installing their car seats or providing assistance. And we talk about all of those things. So leaving, you know, not leaving kids alone in hot cars, baby sleep safe, just child passenger safety in general, fire safe, all of the things. So once we have their attention, we kind of uh, give them all the information. Safe Kids is a great local and national resource where parents can visit for, um, they do tons of webinars, they have great videos, tip sheets and things like that. There's tons of community events. We have one coming up uh, this Saturday in Pompano Beach in partnership with Pompano Beach Fire Rescue, Broward Sheriff's Office, Pompano Beach, and also Safe Kids to, um, and it's going to be all of this, car seat, installation, child passenger safety, and hyperthermia awareness as well. So you see all these resources, there's so many, just proves that this is really a hot topic. And like you said, 53%, you know, left Mm -hmm. unattended and and you didn't even mean to. It's just, you just simply forgot. So this is all very important, very important and valuable tips and information for us to have. Melanie, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and for help keeping up the community safe. I'm going to for sure share all of these sites where people can get more information. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for helping us spread the word. Grateful to be here. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. The 7 Weather Team would like to thank Melanie Bricado and the entire Broward Sheriff's Office for prioritizing the safety of our kids and pets in hot vehicles. Your commitment to keeping our community safe day in and day out has not gone unnoticed, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. For more information on where you can find resources on how to keep our children and pets safe, visit safewise.com or safekids.org. You can also visit sheriff.org for links to schedule car seat appointments. That's all for now. From the 7 Weather Team, I'm meteorologist Erica Delgado. Thank you, Erica. Whether or not, we'll be right back. Severe weather can strike any time. And when it does, 7's got you covered. 24-7. We'll see storms developing. We have a long line of rainfall here. We are the storm station. 7 News. It's been coming like a tidal wave. Year after year, we get feedback from viewers and listeners who don't quite get what information the Cone of Concern is trying to convey. It has finally reached a flashpoint after Ian's impact. Many thought it would make a Tampa landfall and not across Southwest Florida. Can anything be done to improve the messaging? Meteorologist Jackson Dill has the latest. One interdisciplinary group at the University of Miami called Huracan is working to improve the way hurricane forecasts are communicated to the public. I spoke with Brian McNulty, who is part of the group, and it's a senior research associate specializing in research on hurricanes to speak more about it. Brian, thanks so much for joining me today. And now, as you know, whenever there is a tropical storm or hurricane, the forecast track and intensity of the storm is often displayed as a cone of concern by the National Hurricane Center. Can you first explain what the cone is and how it should be interpreted? Sure. Yeah, the National Hurricane Center track forecast cone or cone of uncertainty that pretty widely called. This is actually its 20th year out there. And unfortunately for those 20 years, it's been pretty misinterpreted by a lot of people. But really all it is, is it's, it, it's meant to contain the path of the storm with a two thirds likelihood 
knowing what the errors were over the past five years. So it does change size each year by a little bit. It shrinks usually each year, but it's it's only for the, the, the actual track of the storm, a two-thirds likelihood of it staying somewhere in there. So there's still a one-third chance of it not staying in there. And is there a reason why the cone shrinks or what is that based off of? No, that's, that's exactly right. As track forecasting improves, there's less uncertainty around a forecast and that applies to a one-day forecast on out to a five-day forecast. So the, the cone generally, it's, you know, it may not shrink evenly across all of those forecast times, one, two, three, four, five days, but usually it does. It'll, it'll gradually shrink in. So it's quite a bit smaller now than it was when it was introduced. Now, Huracan, which is a research group at the University of Miami, is focused on improving hurricane forecast communication. Can you describe who is part of the team? Yeah, thanks for that question. I'm, I'm really enthusiastic about this group. They st it started about three to four years ago, and we've got six people or so scattered across things like communication, and education, we have the hurricane end of it, you know, doing the, that end. I mean, it's, it's people who have expertise in a lot of different fields. So this focus on an interdisciplinary way of looking at things, which is really a great way to, to, to go about it because you, we, we always learn from each other every week that we meet. And what is the group founds that can help improve the cone in terms of communication and design? Well, we're, we're actively still going through kind of in-person workshops with, with people, just smaller groups, maybe six, six to eight people in, in a group and asking them about what, what they like about current products or what they find confusing, or we might show something to them that's, that's out there now and say, what do you like or don't like about this? And then we'll ask them to just sketch out or draw or write about, you know, in your perfect world, what would be out there that would make understanding forecasts, you know, something, something that comes more natural to you when you look at, at something, when you look at a map or something, what do you want to see? So we're actively still getting input on that. We're not at a phase yet where we can, you know, share anything concrete. It's definitely still a work in progress. We have a, a grant now and we're, we're working with folks, well, both, both at the National Weather Service, National Hurricane Center, we have partners in. So we're, we're, we're working with people that, you know, when we get something at a stage that's actionable, we can actually start to really get it, get it in to the right places. Do you see your findings coming up with something different than the cone? That's a great way to think of it too, because it, it may not be the cone. I mean, it, it could still involve it. It may involve a redesign of a cone in some way. But we really want to look at more than just a track uncertainty product, which is all the cone is. We want to show, if we can, all of the, the hazards associated with hurricanes, you know, like storm surge and rainfall and, and the winds. The threats from rainfall is pr probably one of the, the least appreciated by, by the general public. And that, I mean, rain, rain is extremely important when considering a tropical system anywhere near land it has far reaching effects. Whereas like as the, if you're just looking at the, the super strongest winds from a landfalling hurricane, they're going to be relatively contained to a coastline. It, it weakens quickly once it moves 
inland. And things like this, storm surge is very limited to the coast. I mean, it can be extremely impactful, but it's definitely limited to the coastline, whereas rainfall can be hundreds and hundreds of miles inland and you can still do significant amounts of damage just with rain. Why is there the need for better communication or interpretation of the cone or the forecast track and intensity of a storm? Yeah, there, there's a, there seems to be a lot, a lot of people who get confused about the cone that they, they see it as having this, this edge and that edge means if you're inside the cone, you're in trouble. If you're outside the cone, all is well. That's of course not at all what it means because you know, when, when the hurricane or whatever is very close to you, the cone is just, it starts out as super small. It's just a dot really. And then it expands out in time. Well, if you're sitting right next to a hurricane, you're not going to be in the cone. Well, you're certainly not in good shape either. <laughs> uh, so no, being inside the cone does not relate to a, a hazard impact. Uh, that's what we always say is that, you know, the, the, and I think they write it on the product itself. The, the cone is not an impacts cone. And then lastly, how are you sharing your findings with the public so they have a better understanding of this topic? So we're, we're working with the public right now. So they're, they're actually able to share their ideas and, and experiences with us first. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll take those into account and try, try to come up with a, a, a design or ideas that incorporate that. So we're not quite at that point yet of being able to return the favor and share a finished product with them, but that is the end goal. There's, there's definitely a lot of issues with understanding the cone. I mean, well, some of, some of the things we hear about are that, that the, the cone represents the storm increasing in size with time, which it's not at all related to size. Uh, of course, the, the thing I mentioned about the, the impacts, that, it, that the impacts are contained within the cone, and that's not at all what that is. It's really unfortunate that even after 20 years of having it out there, that it still, still has its issues. <laughs> Ryan McNulty, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Jackson. Next week on Whether or Not, it's the end of Daylight Saving. There will be less daylight over the next few months. But this is a man-made time change. Why do we do it? Our next episode drops November 8th. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion, please send us an email at wxpodcast at wsvn.com. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is produced by the Seven Weather Team. Original music by Chris Crane, with technical support by Stephen Sejas. Thank you for listening to Weather or Not.